Hello and welcome to One Track Mind for 2023, a podcast about the real issues, forces and innovations shaping the future of sport. I'm your host, Sam Robertson. Know what you just heard to kick off the show wasn't the new theme song for One Track Mind in 2023, although regular listeners may note that we are well overdue for a change on that front. No, that was a piece of music purportedly generated by artificial intelligence from one of the many now commercially available software capable of generating a piece of music in a given style and tempo, literally at the click of a mouse. Now, why am I mentioning this to start off today's episode? And what on earth does it have to do with the future of sport? Well, apart from AI being a topic that we'll likely touch on throughout the year, it also happens to be the focus of my most recent blog at profsamrobertson.com. I hope to use the blog as a way of cross-pollinating ideas and thoughts across both mediums, as well as providing just another way that listeners can access, hopefully, useful content. You'll also start to hear a variety of new formats for the show trialed throughout the start of the year. One Track Mind will still very much focus on the big issues relating to the future of sport, but will also bring more varied content to provide new opportunities for engagement, as well as doing so on a more regular basis. Track itself is continuing to expand into North America and Europe, and the team looks forward to announcing a series of new partnerships and collaborations throughout 2023. On that note, let's get on with today's show. It is often said that a champion team will beat a team of champions. And undoubtedly, when we think about that champion team, our mind turns to features of their environment, their culture, habits, levels of support, coaching, and life skills. And when it comes to bringing out that extra bit of performance in a new athlete, many of us would back our own environments to help such new levels emerge. But what do we really mean by the term environment? And just how strong is the evidence around its importance to performance, particularly comparative to tried and true methods of physical and technical development? And just how important is our staff recruitment in creating an environment that we want to sustain? In late 2022, I sat down to discuss this with Dr. John Bartlett. John is the Elite Basketball Performance and Operations Advisor to the NBA. He's experienced working across a range of sporting organisations such as Liverpool Football Club and the English national soccer teams, as well as the Western Bulldogs and Gold Coast Suns in the Australian Football League. John has written over 50 peer-reviewed journal publications on a diverse range of topics, from physiology and nutrition, all the way through to organisational leadership, culture and people development. John, thanks for joining me. Uh, Thanks, Sam. Thanks for the invite to come on uh, the podcast. Let's set the scene a little bit about yourself, in particular about the job you do now. And I think that job really is quite relevant to the, the topic at hand today. If we cast our mind back even further, you've had a pretty varied background. You've got backgrounds in academia and backgrounds in physiology and, and nutrition before going into some 
sports science roles and more recently talent ID and talent development uh, in a global role. And then if we read through some of your recent publications, it's, it's different again. There's a lot of leadership. There's a lot of strategic work in there. So it's really broad. So I guess there's two questions in that. Talk a little bit about what your job is now and, and also why you've taken such an interest in that latter area in the last couple of years at least. Two and a half years ago, myself and my wife, we moved over to New York, took a role with the NBA. And about four to five years ago, the NBA invested in this, this elite academy program with, with, with the goal of increasing the number of international players in the league. And so they've now got a global network of academies all dotted around sort of key target markets, covering Latin America, covering the African continent, covering India and covering Australia. And my role is, is really around providing a support piece in terms of leadership, culture, performance, operations, uh, medical, support the coaches, support the performance lifestyle program, which is all around character development uh, and people development. There's a lot of people management in terms of being upskilling them and empowering them to lead the programs in each of their regions. And so I know the sort of topics that we'll get into around environment and cultures, but one of the big things, and sort of this is a good segue into sort of the second question you asked is, I'm really interested in this thing around how, how building capability and capacity in, in groups of people working together towards a common goal. I'm in a position now where I sort of lead people who have so many different backgrounds and cultures and experiences, uh, speak different languages, they train differently, they see the world differently, how they view performance, how they view talent development, how they view talent identification, it's all very different. And so how you then get people to work together, I often call it sort of people, programs and performance, sort of those three Ps, really intrigues me. And so when I can find ways around how I can sort of develop the industry in some shape or form or even just write something because I've got an interest in it which I think can impact and influence people working in this field probably explains why I'm sort of quite diverse and quite broad in in some of the areas that I've that I've delved into. Listening to you describe the role there it it sounds like it's certainly been a, a mandate for the role itself from the MBA to to bring those things I alluded to last, like the leadership and like the culture. But it sounds like also along the journey of your own journey before even arriving at the NBA, you've kind of had this realization that maybe to use a, a kind of a, probably an overused term, they're, they're the big rocks really in terms of developing talent. It's, you know, we, there's only so much we can do in the technical and the physical realm and, and they are important. But also when you're working across so many different regions and so many different cultures, you know, these are things that are, are constants and things that aren't going to change, uh, sorry, that are going to change quite a lot across those different regions. And so you've got to get them right. Yeah, everybody's view of what they see as performance or development is different. And that will then naturally guide and direct how they do things and so in some shape or form you actually want to leverage off that diversity in in background and and experience and expertise but you also want to give them some level of standardization and uniformity around what we think is an elite program and what we think might be high level sort of performance in in roles not just athlete performance but we're talking any role you fill could be a performance coach it could be operations, it could be a physio, a sports scientist. And that's another thing which really intrigues me is what does good look like in those different disciplines to then come together 
to set an environment for these young men around the world to thrive but also for the staff to thrive as well because ultimately they're on their own journeys as well often in sport what we do is we put people into roles they might have a two to three year fixed term contract there's no development plans there's no performance reviews you might have one or two a year they have two touch points in that three-year contract around how they've had impact or influence and how they're going to evolve but then there's no constant reflection and then intentional action to move forward and so we can often go in this cycle of sort of status quo and we keep doing what we're doing and so those type of things really drive me and I think I'm really lucky in the role I've got because I'm able to leverage off these different places that we that we work and operate and, and, and test whether these things are true or not. I read a few years ago David Epstein's book Range that really told me a lot around the importance of being a bit more like a comb rather than a tea and if you can have a lot of breadth of experience and expertise but you can go quite deep in those areas too then you can really add value in 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 the roles that you fill it's interesting you talked about what good looks like then in terms of a staff role because the question i was going to ask you was what does good look like for a player and i I think that's a very performance oriented question but the reason i wanted to ask you that was because you are in different regions i'm sure you experience this all the time there's different perceptions on what good looks like and what needs to be emphasized at different stages of a, a player's development and and even what you talked about at the start there in terms of providing guidance to regions I imagine it's even difficult for you at NBA HQ to have an aligned perspective on that because I'm sure you get input, well, or maybe you don't, from the clubs or the franchises as well, which may have different views. Presumably, a program in Africa is looking a little bit different to Australia in terms of maybe the things that the players have already been exposed to, like the structures, for example. So is that a challenge in and of itself, kind of being not being overly prescriptive but providing guidance in the right way? We're really conscious of how prescriptive we are Ultimately, the end point and the goal for these athletes is the same. And so despite geography, we want to try and ensure that they have a similar experience. That's really important. And so when we're talking about what good looks like, it's then talking about, well, there's no one size fits all. Whether it's people, athletes or people, staff, they're all coming into our programs at different stages, different places, different trajectories. And so it's almost like you have a single pathway for every single person. And so you've, you've almost got to have a strategy which sits above all of that to provide that guidance and direction to try and standardize certain things that we want to achieve. But then you give them the, the license, the empowerment to go and deliver on those programs. And that's, that's also why they're, they're there to do the role from a staff point of view, but why the players are also in the environment because They've been identified to have some sort of physical, technical, psychosocial skill set or traits which could be really valuable at the elite level. If you've got sort of some level of strategy or plan and that's well well versed and it's well communicated and, and everybody knows what it is and what it means, I think that's a good first step in terms of that alignment and I know we've spoken a fair bit about alignment before when we share some stuff around how do you achieve alignment where you've got trust and you've got relationships and you've then got to have a connection and then you build these things and it comes into the environment and shapes a bit of a culture around okay now we're talking about 
people being able to connect with the environment. So do they have a belonging? Do they have identity? Can they connect with the environment that they're in? Is there development trust? So I know we're going to sort of move into those things, but I think those it's very integrated and it's very, it all overlaps. Yeah, and, and I, I do want to talk about that and particularly around how you can do that in a, not just a sport, but a, a sports industry, I suppose, that is quite transient, people coming in and out of different roles and how can you, in the long term, maintain those things even when people are coming in and out of programs or, or regions or like yourself, you know, flying around the world into these places. But before, before I do, you talked about identifying an athlete then in terms of for some kind of traits or combination of traits. The work that you're doing now, is there a differentiation between whether it is a component of talent ID or is it more in the development space or is it a bit of, in, indeed a bit of both? Because I think that really has implications for that environment topic we're going to talk about in a moment. It's obviously much more related to the development of players and the ID. It's predominantly in the development space. I'll jump in where, where necessary in terms of screening for physical and more psychosocial traits and any medical screenings as well in terms of the identification. But we, we have separate staff who are, who are purely responsible for the identification process. I'll put the majority of my time into the actual development once they are in the program of trying to get them to the next stage really. If we talk about this notion of development, and I guess even return to the topic of what good looks like, let's kick off at a, at a really high level about what programs spend their time on. You and I have spoken about this before, that there's a propensity to kind of work on the physical and technical of, and maybe the the tactical of, of team sport in particular, because these are very coach-led things, and they're probably historically parts of, of programs, but we've already touched a little bit on the, the culture, the these kind of unseen or these let's call them softer parts even though i don't really like that word that softer parts of the the training and the the living and the environment for the athlete and staff i'm not aware of any kind of longitudinal studies that have, have looked at i guess the benefit of getting all of that stuff right versus the the practice right or the the talent id right or the technical training right and how that would make a, a better player or, or not better player and i'm not sure that body of work would ever get done i mean why do you think that emphasis continues to kind of lag behind that technical focus or the physical focus? Is it because it's hard to measure or is it hard to implement or is it a bit of both? Or is it because of what I talked about earlier, that, that transient nature where it's just too hard to keep those things constant in organization when people are coming in and out? It's a great question. Uh, it's probably the million dollar question, right? There's a heavy bias towards this, this sort of 10,000 hour rule. I think that's one thing. I think that's really sort of guided a lot of coaching and focus in terms of physical and technical over the last few decades. So I've got quite a unique sort of viewpoint where I've been able to work across a number of different sports. And I was having this conversation with somebody not so long ago. They're asking how I sort of navigate and work across the sports and what the differences are. And I'm often asked what the difference is in terms of different sports and the culture of sports. And there's not a big difference between sports when you go UK, Australia, US. The difference is the language and the terminology from a coaching perspective. But actually, the, overall, largely they're the same thing. It's sort of standard people, the type of people you've got in the organisation, the roles they fill. Athletes are quite similar no matter where you are and what sport. So it's, it's more about the language that's used in terms of the technical and tactical pieces that, that are different. 
What we do know is we know that the important things required for development and for performance, and they're listed under you've got to be medically available, athleticism, powerful, strong, so on. You've got to be technically proficient. You've got to be tactically aware. You've got to be coachable, dealing with pressure and mental toughness. Like We know all of these things which contribute to a, a good athlete or a successful athlete. But what I don't think we know of, and as you say, we don't know if we'll ever be able to do it, is how much time is needed to spend in each one in order to be successful. And so how do you allot the time effectively? And then I think then you delve in even deeper and you go, well, there's no one size fits all for any person at any one time. And so what you have is you have N equals one for however many athletes you've got in your program. And so you might identify four or five elite talents so you think, these are very special. And so then you've got to then think about, okay, what's the environment we're creating for these four or five? But ultimately, you've actually got a lot, lot more than that because you don't know at what point they're going to potentially exponentially improve their performance or skill sets or character or physical prowess and so on. And so I don't think there's any single answer that can be can be said it's more about awareness of all the different topics and different areas that contribute to this field and a development of a young athlete or a development of a staff member and then you've got to allot the time specifically to that area that they need so if someone comes in with some high level technical skill competency but physically they've got really poor movement competency well, we know we can put a bit more time and effort with a performance coach to try and improve their movement, so then, which naturally will just improve their technical ability on the court. And that, that's the same for any sport. So, but if someone comes in and around their ability to cope with pressure and auto-regulate and, and relax when they need to relax and recover and more of the mental performance stuff, then they do some specific work and tailored one-to-one -one support with, with that staff member. So I think it's... If, if you've got a good system in, in, in order around athlete development and you've got processes set up to try and almost case study and brainstorm their development plans, then you can try and think, okay, we're doing the right thing in terms of the time they're allotting to each of these different verticals. And then I'm starting to waffle, but then you've got to consider then how do you join all those dots together without each of those being done in a siloed way. So how do you then bring it all together? To, and that's, I think, where the environment's really important. I'm mindful we're kind of talking about this notion of environment, but at the same time, we haven't really defined it. And I guess that's because it, it can be quite tricky. And it's probably a question in and of itself. And how much of that should we be trying to, not control, but to craft? And, and when does it start and end? You know, for example, the home life. I mean, this is something that is not as sacrosanct as it used to be. Like there's most sports at the high level are now having kind of meaningful incursions into what goes on at the home life, uh, rightly or wrongly in terms of uh, how the athletes are looking after themselves. And I, I think the other point that is relevant here is something that you talked about earlier in terms of particularly with these younger athletes, we don't know when they're going to develop or, and sometimes it's not, it's not gradual, is it? Sometimes it's overnight. They just click, uh, flick a switch on certain traits and they go from one level to another overnight, literally. Now, we know it's not as simple as that. They've done things beforehand. So if your environment is not prepared for that, then it, it's not going to work. And so in terms of it's got to be consistent, doesn't it? It's got to be constant and consistent. So these things that we're talking about that you just mentioned then, 
it's a non-negotiable that you've got to be consistent with those and that's that's hard because we're all human <laughs> and if you're going to be consistent in terms of the behaviors you accept in your training environment the discipline you're going to show that's tricky because you know coaches are humans as well so that's my turn to waffle a little bit i suppose but let's come back to the, the start of that in terms of environment how far reaching is that and, and what is it i guess what even does that term mean to you in this context of athlete development i think there's two components to it first and foremost we often associate with culture and environments around okay what's our expectations what's our standards what do we tolerate as the minimal sort of behavior there's a host of stuff out there heap of stuff around your culture is only as good as the sort of the lowest level standard or behavior that you can tolerate right but then actually when you when you unpack that a little bit more the things that i'm really interested in and, and really sort of putting a lot of time and, and thought into is does trust exist are there good relationships is there connection and is there alignment and for me i think those are all people related and people oriented in some shape or form but without any of those it's hard to then have good processes around feedback good processes around sort of the systems that you have in operation it's hard to have clarity around strategy and roles and responsibilities and it's hard then to have or open up opportunities for creativity and innovation and challenging the status quo and so for me if there's a lot of time and effort put into and spent on these elements of trust and developing relationships and ensuring this connection I think then you begin to sort of open yourself for those other elements which then set up the environment for people to thrive and that's ultimately what they want to do is there's lots around learning styles for example and everybody's got a learning style and you can only teach them in such a way and you only receive information in such a way but actually if you achieve some level of standard or behavior or or threshold for this is what we expect and this is what we tolerate. I'm not talking about values and you put values on the wall. I'm talking about do players call players out when something isn't right? That's not how we do things around here. Do we know what good is versus great? If you know what that is, then you can almost have the right, the right people going, this is what we're going to do. That, I think, then establishes those relationships, establishes that trust. And then we're in a lucky position where our academies are full-time residential. So they're together all the time. Whereas a lot of organizations, academies and high performance environments aren't residential. And so you've got to be even more intentional about when you are in the four walls, what is it we expect? Because then you've got the outside influences of family, friends, so on, so on. It's an interesting kind of concept in terms of by curating that really strong environment, does it mean when they come out of it i guess if you've done the job properly it doesn't happen but i've heard the criticism that once they come out of that curated environment that it's not so much that everything's done for them but there's an environment that's very conducive for them to develop and learn that they can fall back into bad habits for example or development can be stunted or for example when they're faced with an adverse situation that is not exactly like the one they've been taught they don't respond well to it and i think critics of proponents of developing a good environment or good culture for athletes might point to examples of successful teams that have had success in spite of a poor culture just through a, a team of superstars and again I guess on the on the flip side some of the things we're talking about yeah I'm, I'm even reminded of last week's 
or the last episode of this show with, with Mary Westner talking about adults reflecting back 20, 30, 40 years in their lives to single instances of interactions with coaches that either positively or negatively change their kind of their course of not just their sporting um, history, but their, their, the course of their lives in some cases. I guess it's a it's a hard thing. People can find extreme examples either side of it, can't they? I suppose. But if we come back to that, the main question there, it's it's a tricky job, isn't it, to make sure that you are creating an environment that will generalize well to new and difficult situations once they are not involved in that live-in program you're talking about. Yeah, it's. I think it's a great point. One thing that we're really intentional about, and I know a lot of sports and a lot of teams have it, if not all. In the professional ranks, you have a leadership group and they're also responsible for driving what they feel is the culture they want to have, the standards, the values, the behaviours that they want to sort of embody on a day-to-day basis. But what we're trying to do as well is also develop these people as independent young men which they can carry themselves in different environments. So are you a good leader of yourself? And what does that mean? As a 16, 17, 18, 19-year-old, what does that mean when you go into a different environment as a leader of yourself and then as a leader of others? And so if you, if you put a bit of time and effort into those two and the independence of that per person, even though we've got an environment which we think is set up for them to flourish and thrive, they'll also have the traits to also drive those behaviours when they go to a new environment. And so when you get a 19, 20-year-old walking in, whether it's collegiate level, whether it's professional level, these guys are set up in that way that, okay, they're one of the leaders of the group and they're setting the expectations. That's what I think you can do at development level is you get them ready knowing what is required at the professional level or the next level, whatever that might be. But at some point, they've got to take that on themselves. And that's, I think, the key, one of the key parts about development. You've got to set them up to be successful in that new environment as well. It's not just the existing environment to bring out the best in them too. If we look at what people spend time on, young athletes in a team sport, such as the ones that are involved in your programs, there's conceivably a a limit to how much technical training or how much physical training they can do. And like yourself, I've seen enough of the structures of team sports around the world to know that sometimes, whether they admit it or not, you're kind of looking for (laughs) filling the days, quite frankly, because you can't just do the same amount of training every day, uh, particularly in sports that aren't competing every second day like say football or professional basketball at the elite level and to me it feels like an obvious thing to fill that time with meaningful content relating to some of the things that you've been speaking about now so it seems like an obvious thing to bring in but I guess my question is is really around and you kind of alluded to it earlier these are things that are human characteristics that the trust the relationships the alignment these are things that are not going to happen without intentional human actions and so it's inescapable to talk about staff in all of this and I do talk about this a lot on this show in terms of how I think it's a little bit of a it's not overlooked per se but it's an area I think that teams could get ahead even more by developing their staff as well I think rightly we spend a lot of time developing athletes but developing staff as well so I guess what does that mean for the types of people that you put into your programs around the world and are you looking for people ready-made in that or is it something that you feel like you can develop staff in as well once they get there? I think one of the best places to start with this is around this idea of people development at an earlier stage of their career. So if we consider degree programs, graduate programs, entry level into first job, etc., 
how much time is spent on their own personal development. And when I talk about personal development, I'm talking about more sort of interpersonal skills. Now, sport is sometimes called them soft skills. I really like to relate to them as organizational skills because it's essentially stuff to do with how you can work with people more effectively. Some degree programs are starting to do a little bit more in that space. I've given a few talks around what, what I think is a starting point for that. It's around sort of developing self-awareness and start developing their own self-awareness. What, what does that mean? It's never something that stands still. It evolves every single year and it changes every year based on the experience that you accrue. And, but then when, when you do bring in staff, and you know, I think you've got to be really intentional about the staff groups that you, and, and the people you employ, is at what level or stage of their career are they at? because that will infer then the input required from yourself in terms of developing these sort of de or supporting in these development plans and learning and development. And so ultimately, I think as an organization, if, if you're really invested and really intentional and value, hey, we're going to put time and effort into you to develop as a person and a professional, that says a lot then to then the environment that you're setting up. For me, that's a start, the starting point for saying we want to be a learning environment. And if you're a learning environment, what you have then is an opportunity to then set something up around this idea of psychological safety. Have we got an environment which is psychologically safe? And then you've got an opportunity to go, okay, what does that actually mean? And so if you consider things around sort of passion, empathy, curiosity, now you've got opportunities to go, well, they're not a very good listener for example, where you can put them into communication sort of platforms and development plans around what does it mean to listen effectively and intently. And when you've got different people you work with, cultures and backgrounds and perspectives, that's really important. Or it could be they're just not motivated in their role and so they're not motivated to listen. And so that's where the passion comes in. And then the curiosity part is around then asking questions. And again, I'm going off on a bit of a ramble here and a bit of a sort of path, but Essentially, I think if you're really intentional about when somebody comes in and you identify an opportunity for them to self-assess, think about where they're currently at, what they want to work on in relation to what is required in the, the role they want in X amount of time, X amount of years, you're getting a better person because they're starting to learn and develop every single day. The programs they deliver is going to be more effective. That's going to impact the athletes. And that cycle just goes round and round. And yes, at some point, some of those staff are going to leave and you're going to end up with turnover. But what it does is it sets up a culture and a reputation of, you go there, you're going to be really, you're going to be well-developed and you're going to come out of it really, really well. But you also have impact whilst you're there too. So that's sort of broadly speaking, but I think you've got to be really intentional about this idea of people development, staff development from, the, from day zero. I was going to reiterate that word intentional, but you said it again there at the end because I think... It's a, a really important one. If I think to some conversations I've had over the journey, it's not always well received by people because there is sometimes a perception that being intentional all the time overly structures things. It can potentially take the joy out of things. I've always countered to that, that when you're working, particularly in an environment like this, like the ones that we're talking about today, when you're trying to develop high performers in any field forget about just sport the people there's very clear evidence that people that are high performing are intentional <laughs> in what they do a lot of the time uh, most of the time in fact you could strongly argue and so i've never really found that to be 
a, a great argument back. I mean, I think we, of course, we want our athletes to have fun at all levels, but it can't always just be about the fun. Being intentional to me, when you're trying to be the best in the world at something or the best in an area at something, intentionality beats fun for mine. I mean, that's a debate people could have with me, but I would, I would say very strongly on that. So do you feel like this is something, have you've learned lessons across the board, again, being in so many different cultures about how you can embed that intentionality sometimes in ways that's almost covert <laughs> they almost don't know it's there whilst accounting for those different cultures those different learning styles you've talked about again what works in africa may not work in asia or may not work in north america it can't be easy otherwise everyone would be very good at it i suppose <laughs> i think things can be fun if you're intentional about it let's say for example free play and you put a bunch of athletes in and, and... They've obviously been identified in some shape or form, and it's normally, it could be through some, they're just being seen on a court, outdoor court that's being, being constructed, and they're just playing with their mates. And they go, gee, he's got some ability, he's got some traits that we like. Now, that's only free play. Now, you can create opportunities for free play and fun in your own environments if there's a framework and you're intentional about it. So you just go and have a 5v5 pickup, or... 7v7 pickup or if it's footy 16v16 just go and play own rules you manage the game you're the referee or the umpire whatever sport you're in and let them go manage it now you've got an opportunity for them to go oh they've got to take responsibility for running the game managing the rules jumping on fouls picking up fouls now they're becoming more independent in terms of that approach that's just sort of one example but if we Go back to the staff thing we were talking about and staff development and staff learning. And again, I think being intentional is you set up processes and systems where you're intentional about it, but then a lot of learning happens by proxy and by default without, without knowing. So if you have a weekly reflective opportunity, and I'm not talking on a Friday afternoon when the rest of the week's finished, put that reflective opportunity in a time where you are on and you're not fatigued from the week. For example, let's say it's a Monday morning or a Monday afternoon. Can I reflect on the previous week and reflect looking forward for the next week around, okay, what's happened? What can I learn from what's happened? The conversations or any events or scenarios. And then how can we put something in place to mitigate that moving forward? That's from a negative perspective. But when something goes well, are you also reflecting about why something went well as, as well? So then we can make sure that it's embedded on a consistent basis. So that's been intentional. But in the last five days, things have just happened by, by proxy and by default with just a program running itself. So that intentional piece is really important. And so I've been in environments where you get a speaker in or you have a meeting around. Oh, let's talk about X. Let's talk about Y. And it's always three o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Don't worry about actually doing a session on uh, three o'clock Friday afternoon. Just the fact it's put in that time says a lot for the actual intention and the thought process around, actually, do we actually care about this? Or are we just ticking a box to make it look like we care? And so that's something I'm, I'm quite big on is put it somewhere else in the week where people are active and on. Yeah, and I think a lot of this, we've touched on it a little bit around the role of staff, but also the role of the organisation itself, which you, know, you could argue is a collection of the staff 
I mean, it's a pretty broad question and there's probably not a single answer to it. Is this something that you're seeing, in at least in your sport at the moment, that staff have a, a passion for, particularly at the development level, I guess? Because there is an argument. Coaches may say, well, what we're doing now isn't, isn't broken, so we, we don't need to fix it. There can be a perception that it's creating more work for them to schedule more diverse and different activities. I mean, I don't hear that a lot, but I, I suppose these are things that, that could happen. Again, things we talked about at the start, like uh, will organisations prioritise and support the staff that are wanting to develop? I mean, I certainly have seen many organisations where development of staff is not a priority and we we therefore see, you know, kind of two situations and I'm polarising them here, which is an ambitious staff member is forced to either kind of settle, so to speak, at that organisation and, and flatline in their own development, which may or may not be a a bad thing depending on the stage in which that sporting team's at or they're forced to go somewhere else uh, to further their career and again this is a tricky thing in and of itself because you could argue for the betterment of the team maybe they need all their staff just to be staying exactly where they are in that, those roles for that period of time what's the answer there in terms of of getting that right or or do you think it's heading in the right space or, or is it more we need better design of coach programs or coach education to start with to emphasize this stuff more it's quite topical actually. I spent some good time with, with a guy called Nick Wheel from the LTA in the UK and he heads up the coaching, education and performance programs for the LTA. We were talking about this around how you consider sort of staff development. And yeah, I might be talking about coaches, but I'm talking about any staff. I mean, we're all coaches in some shape or form, really. He's talking about how mo- you've got to try and understand their motivation. So are they, first of all, are they motivated to learn? Are they motivated to engage in extra activities now those extra activities might be sort of your 10 percent or your 20 percent so go to a conference go to a seminar go to a workshop engage in round tables engage in seminars podcasts on and there might not be an appetite for a lot of staff to do that but they might be having impact into the program already and so even though they have low motivation to actually engage in sort of continuing professional development their impact is high on the program generally and so what this conversation sort of made me think about is you actually just need staff along that whole continuum of sort of that motivated to learn and engage in these different things, but also against the continuum of impact. And so you just have a broad variety of staff. Some are low motivated to engage and they're happy with status quo, but they have big impact on the program. They keep things running. They're sustainable. It's, it's the, the wheels turning all the time. You might have some who are highly impactful but highly motivated to engage and continue to build their resumes and their skill sets and knowledge. At some point, they're, they're going to get bored and they might turn over because they want something new. You might have some, some people who have no impact on the program but also have no desire to develop professionally. That's a question mark whether you want those type of people in your organisation. And then you have the ones who are highly motivated to learn and engage in these different programs and extra things but they're having very little impact on the program so how many of those can you have they might be really inspiring to other staff to engage in other stuff but they might not be having an impact in the broader piece so there's a great conversation with nick and we were talking about it for a, for a good hour around where you put your staff and then it comes down to the recruitment of your staff and, and how you sort of what is your strategy around staff intake staff recruitment who's on your staff the input that's required to then lead and manage a staff and who's responsible for that. 
And then when are you ready for the turnover piece? Because the turnover piece is going to come. I mean, that's ine inevitable. We work in sport. This, uh, that, that's actually a constant. And so how then how do you then redesign that again when someone else comes in? Because that changes then the dynamic and paradigm that you're actually working with. So that's something that's got me thinking right now. And that's sort of, sort of top of mind for me. Yeah, it's funny when you were talking through that, then I had that vision in, in my head. There are those coaches out there now that you meet who are almost professional professional developers and uh, they go to everything and they can recite everything and they they spend a lot of time on social media but you're not sure whether it ever gets translated into actual impact just before i let you go i just wanted to like i always do talk a little bit about the future not just for your role but also just this space i often mention that our ability to measure things is always improving particularly through tech however with the area we're talking about today i think a lot of that is going to be continue to be very difficult to measure but what do you see ahead for not just you in your role uh, and the work that you're doing but just this notion of environment developers or whether that's a coach or another role do you think there's going to be continued growing recognition of just how important it is and again I guess as is often the case you find that ex single example that, of a player that can, maybe comes through one of your programs and goes in to have success at the NBA. That's sometimes all it takes for everyone to recognise just how impactful uh, that can be. And you might even have an anecdote on that without putting any pressure on you. We have this increase in data that's never going to stop. We have this increase in tech, emergence of different levels of technology. But then we have the emergence of a number of new roles, different roles, more discipline-specific roles. I mean. Right now, biomechanics is becoming a big full-time standalone role in a lot of organizations and sports. And obviously we've spoken a lot around sort of the people element of environments and programs and stuff. I think the next few years, you're gonna see a need for people to merge those two together. You can't forget about the importance of people because they shape things. They're ones, at the end, they're still making decisions, even though we've got tech supporting decision making as well and then i think it's a case of and this probably leans in quite a little bit this sort of interdisciplinary sort of approach towards the way you work and this will break down i think some of the silos in which we found ourselves in the past working in if you can work in two plus different verticals and have some level of breadth and experience across those well, that means you're going to shape somewhat the environment and the culture that you're operating in that means you can then bring in and understand the use of data and tech to inform decision making, but then bring it back into then the people part. One of the things I think that we're going to see more of when this becomes a little bit more sort of top of mind is culture environment has always stuck with either the head coach or manager or a psych, whereas everybody's responsible for this. Or it might be the people and culture manager sits in HR and HR's actually sitting in a different building to what the actual performance environment is in a sporting organization. And so actually everybody's responsible for the environment they sit in. They've got a role to play, they've got a voice, and the evolving leadership approaches and styles and philosophies that we have now that are sort of emerging in sport means that's going to also change in terms of who's responsible. Everyone's responsible in my opinion just at different levels. So I think there's a, different, a number of different things which I think just going to become a little bit more sort of top of mind. Yeah, I mean, which in and of itself is a, a good discussion point. You can't help but wonder whether 
some of these areas could be as well documented as some of those quantitative sciences uh, in team sports knowing of course that again difficult to measure and complex in the way they interact but maybe that's a, a body of work that can get done as well thanks for sharing a little bit today about your not only experiences recently in basketball but over the last 15 years across a, a number of sports in a lot of different countries dr john bartlett thanks once again Thanks, Sam. Thanks for the invitation and uh, enjoyed reflecting and thinking about some of this stuff too. That's it for this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed the show. I'm Sam Robertson and this has been One Track Mind. One Track Mind is brought to you by Track and Victoria University. If you care about sport and its future as much as we do, please support us by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you listen and recommending the show to a friend. It only takes a minute, but it really makes a difference. If you want more where this came from, follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn at TrackVU or Instagram at track.vu. Thanks for listening to One Track Mind. See you next time.